This is a Nerd and Tie podcast. Welcome to BS Free Witchcraft, your monthly guide to the modern witchcraft movement, minus a lot of the, you know, usual bullshit. I'm your host, Trey Dorn, and we are back for January, and isn't that exciting into itself? Woof. So, what we're going to be talking about this month on the podcast is... Uh, a little bit different from last month's episode. Last month, we swung hard into the witchcraft side of things by focusing on, you know, candles, just like a thing, a singular thing in witchcraft. And uh, this month, we're going to be swinging hard the other way into the uh, bullshit part of things. Because, well... If our goal is to talk about witchcraft minus the bullshit, we need to talk about things that are complete bullshit so we can avoid them. Because that's what adults do. And now I know also with last month's candle episode, I'm 100% certain there are things I didn't cover. Like, (laughs) I think uh, one of the people I talk to on Tumblr a lot, uh, she commented that... (laughs) that I, I miss, forgot floating candles. like, And there's a whole thing about different layers of candle wax, the outer color of a candle versus the inner color of a candle and all this stuff, and just proved that she knows way more about candles than I do because, frankly, uh, you can't legally burn them in my apartment, according to my lease. So I just don't do it that often. Whatever. Anyways, that's last month. This is this month. It's January, so we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. So, when I started up being a witch, it was the 90s. The olden days. And an interesting things happened in witchcraft over the last 25 years. And that's how we get our sources. Where we look to sources. And a couple of things have changed since, well, since a lot of people started for my generation, and that is the rise of technology. It used to be, if you wanted to learn about witchcraft, you 100% had to go out and find a book that was going to be put out by some New Age publisher, like Llewellyn Press, and you, you, you just were, you could, were stuck with whatever you could find. If you were lucky, you lived in a town with a witch bookshop, if you weren't lucky, you maybe found, like, a couple of things at Barnes & Noble. And that's that's all you could find. That's it. Well, that's not the world we live in now. Nor is it the world even that I really started with. Like, I'm 39 years old. I became a witch as a teenager. And I think I was part of the first generation of witches that really had websites as a source that they could go to. Some of these websites were terrible. Some of these were good. It's a mixed bag. But they were out there. And that really started it with the idea that anyone could put their conceptions of witchcraft on the internet. It was in the 90s. But another thing has come through, which has made an even larger difference, 
and that is the world of self-publishing. Again, it used to be if a book was out there, it had to go through some sort of editorial process, be it a good press or a bad press, <laughs> and uh, that's what you would get. It's There would be some form of gatekeeping as to what could and couldn't get published, for better or for worse. And that's not the world we live in anymore. Now, with the advent of self-publishing, anyone can get out there and put a book on the market. And this has benefits and drawbacks. The accessibility of information on the internet is both good and bad. And it's good because there's a lot of information out there that people just couldn't get published, that there are obscure forms of witchcraft which are more accessible now because of it, assuming that they aren't closed forms. You know, there are... And the, But the bad news is there's there's a lot of bad information out there. It's... There are a lot of bad books, so we're going to talk about those consequences. We're going to talk about how to figure out how to really determine the legitimacy of an author as best you can before you even start reading, because obviously in the end you also still need to judge the text, but we're going to talk about that. And before I start, I want to make sure that it's really clear that I am not crapping on self-publishing. For those of you who listen to the show, I've, I've recommended Brina Guerin's work a few times, and I've even had her on the show. And, like, Grove Daughter Witchery is, I think, a really great book for people who are coming into witchcraft who don't necessarily want to go down the Wiccan path, like me. Um, I think it's a, I think I think her stuff is amazing, and that's all self-published. So, before I get started, let me be really clear that there are really good self-published works out there. So, keep that in mind then before I go into really the topic that got me thinking about this in the first place this month. And that is, back in December, uh, The Wild Hunt um, at wildhunt.org, it's a witchcraft and neo-pagan news blog that I occasionally read because I'm a person who does things with their downtime. It's exciting. Anyways, they put out an article uh, called just a disturbing trend in published books marketed towards pagans. And I'll try to link that into the show notes for this episode. And this whole thing started when um, author Thorn Mooney put out a tweet on December 22nd, 2019, pointing out that a lot of books on Amazon in the witchcraft section had a kind of a suspicious pattern. There were names on some of these books like Lisa Buckland, Lisa Crowley, Lisa Cunningham, and they were showing up in witchcraft search results. All of them were self-published. None of them were through a publishing house. They all had very similar styles. And most importantly, besides the first name, their last names on all those three book, all those three authors, are the last names of notable occult authors. I mean, Lisa Buckland, of course, the last name of Raymond Buckland, who wrote the Big Blue Book, 
Lisa Crowley is, of course, Alistair Crowley, and we hate that guy, but, you know, people go searching for it. And Lisa Cunningham, who, of course, takes the last name of the late Wiccan author Scott Cunningham, who wrote some of the books that I often recommend to people who want to start out with Wicca. You can skip Buckland. Fuck Raymond Buckland. Just seriously, that was an asshole. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on Ray Buckland, and I'm not going to talk about them right now, uh, because that's beside the point. No, it's... All of these names are optimized for search results. And while using a pen name is not uncommon for, for witchcraft authors who want to necessarily, like, if they... If writing isn't what they do full-time and they have a day job and don't want to reveal that they're a witch publicly, using a, a pen name is pretty normal. I mean, the fact is that, like, at least in the Wiccan section, a lot of us, like, don't use our birth names to start with. So it's like... I'm not criticizing these for being written under what is clearly not the author's real name, but it's also clearly not a genuine use of a pen name. Because while the about the authors will have information, if you go and you search for these people, like if you look for anything on the author, Lisa Buckland, on the internet, you're not going to find social media. You're not going to find an official website. No. there It's a ghost. In every sense of the word. Well, maybe not every sense. I assume the person who actually wrote the thing is not dead and trying to haunt all of us because that would be, well frankly just irritating because it's already bugging the crap out of me already yeah it's just a this insane ridiculous thing what it is is that these names are exclusively being used for SEO and getting search results and I can't speak to the quality of these books I have not read them but i I want to be clear, I have not given, because I'm not going to give a penny to these people. So I can't claim the veracity, but nothing tells me, <laughs> there's no bigger red flag than when it's uh, the author name itself has been changed in an attempt to sell copies of whatever this is. Like, that's a massive red flag. I don't want to give money to someone like that. Because it's a cash grab. This isn't written by someone who genuinely wants to engage people on the philosophy of magic or, or witchcraft in the modern age. This is someone who wants to make a dollar off of people who are curious about these topics. And it's infuriating. So we're going to talk about, for a moment here, how to tell the difference between a self-published author who is genuine and well-researched, like Brina Garen, who, again, I love, and Lisa, insert last name here. Okay? The first and really the biggest piece of advice and pretty much the highlight of this whole thing is just Google the name. Before you buy a book, Google the name. Because you're going to see a book on Amazon, and it's going to say it's self-published. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're a starter. You're a new person. You're a beginner. You don't know these names from anything. You know, if you're a new witch, you might not be aware that 
the last name Cunningham has a long history in association with witchcraft. It's just not going to occur to you because why should it? You're new. Everyone's got to learn at some point. None of us were born with this knowledge. Well, here's what you do. You Google the name and you look for the breadcrumbs. Like, if you Google my name, if you Google Tradorn, you're going to find my website, you're going to find social media, you're going to find a ton of stuff. I've got trails all over the internet going back over two decades because I built my first website in 1996, okay? It's... I'm old, guys. I'm old. If you search for an author like Brina Garen, you're going to find her website. You're going to find her professional Tumblr. If you look hard enough, you'll find her personal Tumblr. You'll find her Twitter. You will find a website that sells books, that sells the books directly. You'll find all of this stuff because Bree's a real person. And if it was just a pen name, which I don't believe it is in Bree's case, I could technically ask, but either way, it doesn't matter because when an author is trying to sell books under a pen name, they're going to build the brand of the pen name if it's a genuine use. They're attempting to establish that identity to sell books. Because, again, you know, authors want to sell books. All of them do, good and bad. When you search for someone like Lisa Buckland or Lisa Cunningham, there are, enough, there, there are real people in the world with these names, but you're not going to find any official, like, Twitter for the author or website for the author that sells the books. No, they, they're just on Amazon. That's all, that's the only place that they are. And if that's the case, run away from that author like the plague. Just, just don't get started there. Because if they're not bothering to establish why they should have the authority, why can you trust a single word that they say? If they're not bothering to establish that they're a real person, or at least, you know, that this is a even a brand, like... There's nothing, there's no value there. It's, they're just looking for your money once and don't care if you come back. That's it. That's... It's just, it's infuriating. <laughs> now, once you have a book open, once you have a website open, once you have anything open, then you can start evaluating whether or not the actual text is good. And I think building a bullshit meter on that is super, super hard to start with. Like, when I started out, I'm kind of in a weird spot where I'm, I'm 39, but I'm very technologically, like, now it's normal, but like in the 90s, I was building websites, I was building computers. I was a nerd. I'm a nerd. I'm currently sitting in a home office recording a podcast, so, uh, yeah, definitely a nerd. And one of my biggest sources back on the, when I got started were websites, and that was, that was not a, a common thing back then. It's, there are witchcraft sites that don't exist anymore that I went to and interacted on that I got a lot of information, and I went back later, and, and again... 
over time, I read more and learned more. And this is why I advocate the year of study. But, like, I tried things out without always the best background. And I, I later would, you know, I would go on to read books. And I would go on to, like, dig into text with better sources and all that. You know, it's... But when I started, I was going to websites. I was getting correspondences off of various witchcraft and pagan pages. I was That's where I was getting a lot of stuff from. And I originally thought that, like, I was I had that imposter syndrome where I felt like, oh, I, I'm not really, like, learning as much as people who are doing all these other books. But then I went back later and looked at some of the books that other people start with and realized that, the information I was getting was just as good as a lot of those. And so I was actually fine, but also by that, by just as good as those. I also mean a lot of it was bad. <laughs> There's a lot of bad books. Like, I'm fairly certain that I was getting better information than people who were picking up Silver Ravenwolf stuff. Because her books are terrible. Her books are terrible. But... You know, you got to start somewhere. And you don't know that they're terrible when you start. So these are the sorts of things you need to be looking for when you look at any website or book. And the first, and this is important, is sourcing. Where the heck does this stuff come from? The biggest, the biggest problem for a lot of this is in the history sections. Like... How many books just tell you what the Wiccan read is, but not, like, the history of the read? Like, where it came from in the Ardanes, when it came into Wicca, because the Wicca was not born with the read in place. Talk about that, because we did a whole episode on that, I am realizing now. But, like, think about that. The, the read is, like, you'll see people reproduce the read poem, which is also not equivalent to the read. That was just a poem that was written with the read in it. And they'll present it as though it wasn't just something written by a writer in Green Egg. It's, like, that sort of stuff gets unsourced. And so, <laughs> that's pretty bad. It's, it's also why I recommend people read Drawing Down the Moon and... I know one person who listens to the show who is going to disagree with me, but I think it's a pretty good history of the uh, modern witchcraft movement through the early 2000s, which, you know, it's been, you know, that book was last updated in uh, 2006, and the author has since passed away, and so obviously a lot has happened. It's 2020 now. This is a culture that moves fast, and so really it's only going to give you a good snapshot of what, what witchcraft and paganism looked like through the early 2000s. Um, but, and it was also, you have to remember, Drawing Down the Moon was not actually written for witches. It was, a, it was meant to explain the witchcraft movement to people outside of the community. But that's why I recommend people read it, though, because... It's, I think it's a solid history, and when you read like the history of witchcraft in these other books or on web pages, and you get these things that contradict it, you bring in the, you know, the the Murray's Great White Wicca Witch Cult bullshit, and someone starts going on about that, you know that they didn't do the work, or that they have a vested interest in 
presenting a specific narrative. It's like anytime someone gives a definitive answer about the origin of the word witch, just run away. I think I've talked about this on multiple occasions, but the past the old English of witcha and witcha, we actually don't know where the word came from. There, there are theories. There are competing theories, though. There are like three or four competing theories about what the root is. And for the most part, they're guesses. So when any source, so when any source goes out and tries to tell you, this is where the word witch comes from and doesn't cite, and they don't at least cite a specific theory, if they present it as definite and clear, the writer either did not do the research or they have an agenda and didn't care about the research. And you should start questioning everything they wrote. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're presenting something that's true. But the fact is, and again, I cannot stress this enough, the fact is, if someone didn't do the work, you can't be sure. Because if they're missing the little things, if they're, if they're missing, like, core ideas, like, if they're missing details and presenting as though it's a definite answer, how can you trust them on the big ideas? In likelihood, like many things, they're just repeating what someone else said, but not sourcing it. And that is a inherent problem with a lot of witchcraft books and a lot of things from even established publishers. So, yeah. I don't know, this whole thing's been a meandering bit of nonsense as we go around the bend, go around the corner, and just sort of fiddle around a bit. And just don't buy any book that's written by someone named Lisa with the last name of a famous author before you establish that that just happens to be their name or if they're trying to establish a legitimate pen name because none of these people are. It's really bad. Just complete and total garbage. <sighs> you know, I recorded this whole episode once and then this is me going back and doing it again because I didn't like the first version of the show. I don't know. Hopefully this version turned out all right. With that, it's time to wrap up the topic. I'm Trey Dorn, and this has been BS Free Witchcraft. And hey, oh, fun fact. We've got merch. We've got merchandise out there for all of my chickens out there. And that is the official Magician shirt. Slash coaster slash whatever you want the magician design on. If you go to the bs3witchcraft.trhonline.com website, there is a merchandise link in the tab, which will take you to the Redbubble store where we are selling this. There's also secretly a Cafe Press store out there with the same design on it in case you like that stuff better, but I like the Redbubble stuff better, and that's what I did. So, yeah. BS for Witchcraft is a part of the Nerd and Tie Network, um, also on the Nerd and Tie Network is the great show Cool and Unusual Punishment. Cool and Unusual Punishment is a 
uh, mostly weekly true crime and weird history podcasts hosted by Tyler Haas and Jody Arnold. And every every week, these two go out and find weird and fun cases from history and uh, real life. And you should pay attention to them. There, You can find more information at coolandunusualpunishment.com for their show or at nerdandtie.com slash coolandunusualpunishment. BS Free Witchcraft can be found all over social media. You want to follow me? I'm at Twitter at, uh, at T-R-A-E-G-O-R-N on Tumblr at T-R-A-E-G-O-R-N.tumblr.com or you can follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BS Free Witchcraft. And uh, remember, if you have questions, if you want to talk to me about anything, you can go to bsfreewitchcraft.trhonline.com slash contact and write to me or you can contact me through the Facebook page. Please use the Facebook page, not my personal Facebook. I love you guys, but let's have some boundaries here. Um, or you can reach out to me on Twitter or on Tumblr. It's a lot of our topics for these shows come from suggestions from listeners like you. Like the whole last month's episode wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten a question. So with that in mind, I rely on you. I also rely on you financially in the sense that you can support the show at patreon.com slash t-r-a-g-o-r-n that is patreon.com slash t-r-a-e-g-o-r-n and uh, make a monthly donation to the show if it's in your budget if not that's cool i still like you because you are all well we're all magicians here and with that my fellow chickens i am going to sign off and i'll talk to you all again in a month